The following is a set of three devotions that were preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin on Sunday, October 23rd, 2022. They were based on Genesis 32, verses 22 through 30, and explained the various parts of the service format that we use at Good News. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. If someone is afraid, probably the last place that they would ever want to be is in the darkness. That's true whether we're talking about literal darkness and a child who is afraid about what might come jumping out from underneath the bed, or whether we're talking about the kind of figurative darkness that an adult might be afraid of as they face an unknown or an uncertain future. The darkness is not a great place to be for people who are afraid. Jacob was a man who was very much afraid. In today's first reading, you're going to hear about a a somewhat unusual episode in the life of this biblical patriarch by the name of Jacob. Knowing the backstory of that incident is kind of important. When Jacob was a young man, he had tricked his older brother Esau out of everything that meant anything to him. And so Esau was bent on revenge, intent on killing his brother Jacob as soon as their father passed away. And so Jacob was forced to flee. In fact, he spent 20 plus years of his life living in a strange and distant land, far away from his home, far away from his family. But in that land, Jacob accumulated a great deal. Wives, mistresses, children, flocks, herds, other forms of wealth. One thing, however, that Jacob did not have any of was fighting men. And as he returned back to his home country and his brother came out to meet him, his brother Esau had 400 fighting men with him. And so the Bible tells us that Jacob was in great fear and distress which meant that being in the darkness was probably the last place Jacob wanted to be. Except for the fact that there's one other thing I know about people who are afraid. People who are afraid need something to hold on to. They need something to reach out and grab and cling to for dear life, a security blanket, sort of like the kind Charlie Brown's friend Linus always carried around with him, right? Something to keep by his side, firmly in his grip, to let him know that everything was going to be all right. And that's exactly what God provided for Jacob there in the darkness. Suddenly we hear that a a man appeared. And yet this was no ordinary man. The Bible also tells us that this man was an angel. The Bible also tells us that this man was God. Let me connect all the dots for you. This man that appeared to Jacob in the darkness was none other than the Son of God the pre-incarnate Christ, we sometimes say. Long before the Son of God ever had a human name or a human frame, he often appeared to people in various ways in the Old Testament, including to Jacob here in the darkness, to give him something secure to hold on to. And that's why the Son of God had to appear to Jacob in the darkness. That's also why He does the same for us. 
Believe it or not, God's son does us exactly the same kindness that he did to Jacob when he was afraid. As we go through life in a world that is full of all kinds of reasons for us to be in fear and great distress, God's son still appears among us to comfort and console us, to be our safety and security. Something for us to hold on to. Oh, but the Son of God can't just be held on to. In fact, the Bible tells us that he dwells in inapproachable light. The Bible tells us that no one can see him face to face and live. And so that's why when the Son of God appears among us, he must also appear in the darkness, in the shadows. Most of the time we, we leave the lights on, of course. But when the Son of God appears among us, he appears among us in ways that we cannot detect with our sight. In fact, our entire service is structured around the ways in which God's Son appears among us. And the first of those ways is baptism. That's what the entire first part of our service each week is really all about. It's about baptism. We don't always have a baptism, but we do always remember our baptism, and we also reenact our baptism. Those words that we hear at the beginning of the service each week, called the invocation, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, those are the words that Jesus commanded us to speak when he told us to baptize. And so when you hear those words, let them remind you that you, in fact, were baptized, that your sins have all been washed away, that you have been adopted into God's family as a child. But baptism is more than just something really, really important that happened to us once upon a time. Baptism is also something really important that needs to happen to us all the time. And in fact, it does. We, we repeat, we reenact our baptism by virtue of the fact that we have been baptized. And because God's Holy Spirit is living inside of us, we have the ability to repeat what first happened at baptism, to put to death that old sinful nature that dwells inside of us by birth and to renew and to strengthen that new holy creation that God has given to us. We do that by confessing our sins and by hearing the words of the absolution, the announcement of Jesus' forgiveness. Every time we do that, it's baptism all over again. As baptized children of God, one of the privileges we have is the privilege of prayer. In fact, we can pray to our Heavenly Father as boldly and as confidently as dear children ask their dear Father. And that's exactly what we do in what's known as the Kyrie, or the Lord have mercy. A series of petitions, each of which ends with that humble, childlike cry, Lord have mercy. And then last but not least, we celebrate. And there is lots of good reason to celebrate. The Bible tells us that the angels in heaven celebrate every single time just one sinner repents and turns back to God. And so after an entire room full of people has done that very thing, we join in singing the song of celebrations that the angels famously sung the night of Jesus' birth. Glory to God in the highest. Gloria in excelsis. Baptism remembering baptism, repeating baptism, it doesn't look like a whole lot. Water is virtually invisible to our eyes. It's shifty. You can hardly hold it in your hand without having it slip through your fingers. The words that we say seem to evaporate into thin air the moment they come off of our lips. But 
right after Jesus told us to do those things, to go out and baptize, he also promised, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Surely he is with us here in the darkness, giving us something, or rather someone, to hold on to. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. It probably won't surprise you to hear that those words aren't found anywhere in the Bible. In fact, they aren't found even from a, a person who I would recommend to you as a reliable source of wisdom. Those words were spoken by the famous boxer Mike Tyson. There was once a reporter who asked him if he was concerned about the plan that an opponent of his had for an upcoming fight, and Mike Tyson responded by saying, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Jacob was a man who always had a plan. He always knew the next move to make, no matter what the circumstances in his life might have been. Most of the time, that plan included taking matters into his own hands, often in a way that was a little bit less than honest and a little bit less than ethical. But now, there was no plan. Jacob had burned every bridge in the land that he was leaving behind. And as he, as he prepared to enter the land that he was going toward, that brother of his named Esau was coming out to him with those 400 fighting men. There was no next move. No way forward. No way back. Jacob had run out of plans. And so the only thing that he could possibly do was take all that he had, the things and the people who were with him, and divide them into two separate groups who would go their separate ways. Hopefully at least one of those two groups would survive. And so that's why when the Lord appeared, when God's son appeared to Jacob there in the darkness, he appeared to do what he did. He didn't come and put his arm around Jacob or give him a pat on the back. He didn't come to give him a nice big bear hug. He didn't grab him by the hand to lead him down a previously unforeseen path. No, God's son showed up there in the darkness looking for a fight, looking for some hand-to-hand -hand combat with Jacob. You see, Jacob needed to learn to stop trusting in his own plans and to start instead trusting in God's promises and those two things are often in combat with each other. But an interesting thing happened there in the night as Jacob wrestled with God. As Jacob learned that lesson, as he learned how to just hold on to God's promises, the Bible tells us that the Son of God was not able to overpower Jacob. When someone learns to hold on to the promises of God, it's almost as if they become stronger than God. When we learn to ask, when we learn to even expect and even demand that our God would do the things that he has promised us he will do, he has no choice but to listen. That's a lesson Jacob learned that night. That's a lesson that God also wanted Jacob to remember. And so no, he was not able to overpower him, but he did touch his hip. In fact, he sort of wrenched him in the hip. And as a result, we are told that from that point forward, Jacob walked with a limp, an ever-present reminder that he needed to put a little bit less trust in his own plans and to simply trust in God's promises. Everyone has a plan until 
Mike Tyson punches them in the mouth or until God's son wrenches them in the hip. Probably sounds a little bit strange to think that when we come here into God's house to hear God's word, that God's son would be looking for a fight with us. But that very often will be. In fact, that very often must be the case. The next part of our service focuses on that way that God is present among us. He is present among us through his word. And we acknowledge that by starting out that section of the service that focuses on God's word by saying, the Lord be with you and also with you. We acknowledge that God is present. And then at the end of that section of the service of the word, we stand out of respect for the Son of God who is in fact among us. And we conclude hearing the gospel not by saying, praise be to Christ, as if he's someplace far away. Instead, we say, praise be to you, O Christ, because he is very much close by. In between those two bookends of the service of the word, each and every week we have three scripture readings, a psalm and a verse. All of them come from the Bible, you won't be surprised to hear. But what is important to note is why and where from the Bible those sections of God's word come from, how they are chosen. You see, believe it or not, it would be very easy for a person to spend a lot of time hearing and learning and preaching the word of God without ever really being confronted by it, without ever really experiencing any combat with it. For example, each week if I wanted to, I could simply pick out some verses, pick out some topics that I think are the things that you guys want to hear. I could tell you exactly the thing that you're looking to hear when you walk through the door in the morning. Or, if I really wanted to, I could pick out verses and I could pick out topics that are the things I want to talk about. My hobby horses, my pet peeves, the things that are important to me. Neither one of those is how it works. Instead, the, the agenda for the word of God that we hear each week is set not by what you want to hear, not by what I want you to hear. Instead, that agenda is set by what God's son did and what God's son said. And so for centuries, the Christian church has considered it to be very beneficial and very wise to use a calendar, sort of like we do in our everyday lives. And that calendar comes with a schedule of assigned scripture readings known as electionary. Each and every year, we spend half of the year focusing on what God's son did and the other half focusing on what God's son said. It's not a perfect system. You could probably think of ways in which it could improve. But probably one of its most important features is that you didn't come up with it and that I didn't come up with it. And as a result, by definition, it will force us into combat with the word of God. There will be days, maybe even most of them, maybe even all of them, when we hear the word of God, when it will force us to let go of things that we think or things that we want. There will be days when it will force us to let go of things that we want to do or things that we wish were true. Week after week, we will be confronted with the word of God and we will be taught that important lesson to stop putting trust in our own plans and instead to start trusting in the promises of God. 
Preaching the word of God week in and week out isn't always easy. Hearing the word of God week in and week out isn't always fun. But here's the beauty of that combat. When we engage in that fight rather than running away from it, when we learn to put our trust in God's promises instead of in our plans, when we learn to ask and even expect and even demand that God would do for us the things that he has promised to do, he has no choice but to listen. At last, it was almost daybreak, which meant that for the Son of God who had appeared to Jacob there in the darkness, it was time to go. But Jacob wasn't ready to let that happen quite yet. Jacob did not let go of God's Son until God's Son delivered one final blessing. And God's son did that by giving this man, Jacob, a new name. He realized that the greatest blessing he could possibly leave him with was that he would know with absolute certainty who he had wrestled with and who he had overcome that night. You see, that name, Jacob, that he had been given at his birth, that name means heel grabber. Jacob and his brother Esau were actually twins. And Esau came out first, and, and then when Jacob came out, he was actually grabbing on to the heel of his brother Esau, a move and a, a name that would characterize much of the rest of his life. But now this man, who had always had a plan, had learned to put his trust instead in God's promises. And so God wanted to give him a new name. Instead of Jacob, he would be given the name Israel. The one who had in youth been a heel grabber was now in maturity, the God wrestler. That's right, for as long as he lived, Jacob would have no doubt about the identity of the man he had grappled with that night. It had been God's son, which is why when Jacob then turns around and asks for the name of this man, the man replied by saying, why do you ask? Jacob already knew everything about him that he needed to know. In fact, he went on to name the place where all of this had happened, Peniel, because he had seen God's son face to face and had been spared. So as the darkness slowly but surely turns to dawn, a blessing from God's son on demand. That's what Jacob asked for. That's what Jacob received. Wouldn't that be nice? No, that wouldn't be nice. That is nice. Because that is exactly the same thing that you and I have been given by God's Son as well. Shortly before he departed this earth once and for all, at least in a visible way, shortly before he withdrew his presence among mankind into the darkness and into the shadows permanently, he left his people with a parting word some parting instructions about something he wanted them to do over and over and over again, a way to receive from him a priceless blessing while they waited for dawn to come. This third part of our service focuses on those instructions that Jesus gave related to this meal that we call Holy Communion. We start out the service of the sacrament by once again acknowledging the presence of God's Son among us. A second time we say, the Lord be with you and also with you. During this part of the service, we sing another song of the angels that's known as the Sanctus, Holy, 
holy, holy. This is a song that the angels sing before the throne of God in the presence of God's Son, and we rightly sing it here too because Jesus is surely among us. After we hear again the instructions and the promises that God has given to us about this special meal, we then go on to sing another song called the Agnus Dei, Jesus, Lamb of God. We remember not just that God's Son is among us, we remember why he is among us and what he is here to do. He came to be the Lamb of God. He took on human flesh and blood so that he could offer those things as a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, including ours. And then we get our blessing. We get to see the Son of God face to face, as it were. He is present among us in a way that we can see and touch and even taste. The bread delivers to us his very body and the wine delivers to us his very blood. Our blessing while we wait for his return. This is what we do over and over and over again. He told us to do this over and over and over again in remembrance of him. We do this over and over again so that we would always know everything that we need to know about him. A blessing straight from God's son on demand while we wait for darkness to turn to dawn.